right? So hallelujah for that. But let's look at verse 1 here. This is an important uh, chapter, and it's something very good for us to hear today. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And remember, we began looking at this last week, and this idea of judging is different than what the world thinks that it is, because when Jesus says, judge not, what he's basically saying is, don't come to a, a conclusion, don't come to a, a, a judgment or condemn or damn anyone. Wait. And you pray and just let the Lord deal with your heart. We, we, we don't, we can't, we don't, we're not qualified to condemn anyone to hell. God will do that in his own time. And that's his strange work. It's something that he doesn't delight to do. It's something that he doesn't want to do. He'd much rather that we were just obedient children, that we would just come to him and say, Lord, for all that you've done for me, I mean, think of it. I mean, when you think of somebody who has done something like Jesus has, he paid the price for the sin that I, des- that, that I have done and the punishment that I deserved. And because he took that price for me, and he paid the price completely because he was God and is God in the flesh, he was the only one who could do it. He did it willingly. To the, he went to the cross willingly. Nobody put a gun to his head. He loved you and I so much, God himself said, I will go to the cross because only I can fulfill my own righteous requirements. No man can fulfill his righteous requirements. Only God can do that. And if you've done that for me, Lord, and if you've saved my soul, and if I have a wonderful eternity waiting for me in your presence where there are pleasures and joys forevermore, then how much more should I give my life to him? This small little 70, 80, 90 years, or if you're really fortunate, 100 years, that small little speck of time for me to give my life for him for that amount of time in comparison to eternity, I think we're getting the good deal. We're getting a great deal. It's the best thing going. Why isn't this church and every other church in Rochester, in America, filled every morning? It breaks my heart to come down five-mile line and to see very few cars on the road. And I thought to myself, what a horrible thing that has happened. Man is so content on going to work and making his money and being fat and happy and having everything in the bank and everything, all their ducks on the road, or at least they, they think they do. And they don't give a second thought about eternity. They don't give a second thought about what happens to me when I die. And we don't, we're not, uh, we don't know when that time is coming. I may not even be here tomorrow. I have no idea what God's plan is in that regard. I just don't know. But ought I not then to, considering all that he has done for me, ought I not to give everything to him? My heart, my life. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Even whatever age you're at right now, surrender everything right now. And again, this is not, I'm not just talking about money or anything like that, okay? I'm talking, because you can keep your money. You do what God wants you to do with that, but give your life. What can I do for you today, God? What can I do for you? I'm just sitting in these four walls. What can I do? I want to serve you. Hey, he's got a plan. Are you searching for it? Are you willing to step out in faith and try something? You've got nothing to lose but everything to gain. I've often found that the things that I decided, you know what, I'm sick of just sitting around, and finally I get up and I just start something. God can steer the ship once it's moving. Fear not. 
Don't be afraid about, well, I'm not going to be in the center of his will. No, pray, but then there's a time where you just have to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve in this capacity. I'm going to see what I can do. See if the Lord is in it. It's a venture of faith. I'll try it. And then as you get moving, isn't it true that once a ship is moving, it's easy for him to steer you, but if you're just stationary, nobody's moving. He can't steer you. And he's not upset with you trying something new, trying something, taking a venture of faith. That's what this whole movement was about. This Calvary Chapel of Movement was a venture in faith from the very beginning. And it still is. But we don't have the right and we don't, we don't have the qualifications to judge anyone. But this doesn't mean that if you are an unbeliever that this is a way for you to escape the judgment. In other words, judge not and you will not be judged. And you, As an unbeliever you may say, well I don't judge anybody so therefore God you can't judge me. Ah, that's not the way it works. No, if you don't come to Christ you will be judged. You will be judged. But this scripture has been misunderstood so much. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't judge actions, whether they are good or evil or right or wrong. We know what is right and wrong. We make judgments every day, not only concerning our actions, but discerning the actions of others. And God has given us a conscience, hasn't he? Romans 1 tells us that he gave us a conscience. We know what's right and what's wrong. We know what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. And doing what is right is never easy. Have you ever noticed that? Doing what is wrong comes to me like a fish to water. It comes so naturally. Oh, it feels so good. I, I, I slide into it like a, like a, I don't know, like a turkey that's been basted with oil and just sliding into the pan and into the oven. You know, Thanksgiving's coming up, so I had to use that. It is. I just slide right into it. Sin is like that. You just slide right into it. It's so comfortable initially, and it's like, oh, everybody's doing it. And the next thing you know, you're just like, and then, oh, no. (laughs) Ah, but doing the right thing is always the harder thing to do. It goes against the grain. You are like that little minnow. And I've used this illustration before. You are that little minnow that's about that long going upstream in a torrent of water that's coming this direction. You're the little guy just trying to make every fin push a little and you're just trying your hardest just to make a centimeter of progress and everything coming on the opposite direction is schools, hundreds of thousands, millions of great white sharks, 22 feet long coming in direction. That's what it's like sometimes being a Christian. Your life is supposed to go against the grain. If you find yourself really comfortable in everything you're doing, you better be careful. Because if you've made, uh, if you love the world and the things that are in the world, you'd better be very careful. And that's why Jesus gave these, this Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're, we're to act completely different from the world. The world has its own system. The world acts its own way. But God has called you and I to act and think differently. And we can't do this apart from the Spirit of God indwelling us, can we? I can't do it. I've tried to do it in my flesh, and I was a miserable wretch. Can anybody agree to that? Have you tried to serve God in the flesh? Try to maintain some kind of righteousness of your own so that God will accept you? Oh my goodness. What a task that is but to just rest in his arms and let him do it. It's really much simpler, folks, than what we like to think of it. We work so hard, 
And God, I think, sometimes wants to just say to us, my children, just relax. I found that as time goes on, I I can relax a lot more and just rest in him and his goodness and his providence. Everything that he does, I can just rest in him. I don't need to fight. I don't need to stress. I don't need to think, well, am I good enough? Am I good enough? God's going, listen, uh, didn't I take up residence in your heart? Didn't I promise you? Haven't I promised you? Haven't I made precious, great and precious promises to you? That my spirit would indwell you, that I would come for you again, that where I am you might also be? Haven't I made those wonderful promises to you that I'm going to return in a twinkling of an eye? I'm going to change your mortal body and make it immortal in a twinkling of an eye? Didn't I tell you that I'm going to snatch you up off the earth, that you'd be with me forever, and then you'd come back with me? In the millennial reign, didn't I tell you all these things? That I've got a plan and a purpose for your life, even now, regardless of your circumstances? And he does. But God has given us a conscience. It's okay to size things up. We know it's wrong to steal. We know it's wrong to murder. So we are able to judge these actions in a sense, but, you know, um, so that, that can't be what this verse really means because typically when you bring a sin issue or something that is not right to someone's attention, you may hit a nerve in them and they will say something like, don't judge me, brother. Have you heard that? I have. But that is not you judging them. That's just you pointing out what is not right. It's you pointing out what is not right. Are family-friendly drag queen shows, are they? Are we able to judge that and say that's a sin? Yes, because it is. See, we don't ever cast out truth. Because <laughs> the very basis of God's judgment is truth. He is the one who judges ultimately and finally and conclusively, but you and I are supposed to be able to look on something and say, that's not right. In fact, that's an abomination, and it is. So judging them is passing sentence upon them and condemning them, but that's not something that we're to do. We're not to be harsh and critical, but being truthful is always good. So be sure we know what the biblical meaning of of this word really is because the world doesn't know what it means. And oftentimes, you know, they 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 use this and they say that phrase, don't judge me, when when uh when they're convicted of their behavior or even their motive. And oftentimes you don't have to do anything at all. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody as a Christian and they start swearing up a storm and then they remember all of a sudden they they're you didn't say or do anything and they're like, Oh, you know, excuse me, sorry, pardon my French. What does the French have to do with it? This poor people group have always been the the brunt of this thing. You know, excuse my French. And then they say, forgive me, you know, or, or I'm sorry. And you know what that is? That's the Spirit of God in you. They know what they're, they know they got a mouth that's so filthy, filthy. They should just walk around with a, a bar of dove soap. And just stick it in their mouth and start cleaning. Of course, that's silly. When I was younger, my mother, I, had a, I, I swore like a sailor when I was a little boy. And I remember one time, and this cured me to some extent. You know Irish Spring? I was such a filthy little rotten scoundrel. My mother, she took that bar of soap, and thank God for my mom. I love, mom, if you're watching, I love you. 
she would take that bar of soap and she'd stick it in my mouth and she'd push my jaw up on it and then she'd pull it out. And I'd have these shavings all in my mouth. And then I'm trying to get it out, but the flavor, it never goes away. For years, you've got it in places in your mouth that you don't even know was there. You can't brush your teeth. You can gargle with gasoline. It doesn't matter. I wouldn't encourage doing that, by the way. But a rotten mouth. Somebody says, oh, sorry, that's the Holy Spirit in you that's bringing conviction upon them. Or they'll say something really nasty or questionable and then immediately afterwards say, hey, don't judge me when you haven't even opened your mouth. You haven't even opened your mouth. And yet the Spirit of God does that. But what does it say in John? Jesus said, for do not... For God did not send his son into the world to condemn. And the, and the word here is the same word for judge. It's krino. It's the same exact word. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned or judged, but he who does not believe is condemned, is judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And that's the judgment is not believing in Christ. But we cannot and should not condemn anyone. I, I'm just, I'm not qualified. God's the only one that can do that. Jesus even said, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hears my words and believes not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. But he that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him, and that is the word that I have already spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. And see, we don't even have all the information on any, giving, on any given thing to be able to pass judgment or ultimately to condemn anyone. And we need to be careful about even judging people's motives. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, judge nothing before the time. Until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels. This is what is meant by motive. God will reveal those motives of the heart in the day, in the day of his judgment. Then each man's praise will come from God. And what does it tell us? John, Jesus again says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. I don't have righteous judgment all the time. The only righteous judgment I have is to be able to call what Bible says is a sin, a sin. Don't be afraid to call sin a sin. That's not judging. That's being truthful. But be first to acknowledge it in your own heart before you start going out skewering people. Be first to acknowledge, to look at the man in the mirror. God speaking to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, he says, The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And yet, God tells us that we can know a person by their fruits. Notice what it says in Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Well, if that is the case, then I'm judging, right? No, you're just acknowledging what's there. Do you see? We walk around with this stigma thinking, oh, I can't, I can't have any judgment at all. I can't judge. I can't say that this is a sin. I can't say that the drag queen story hour is a bad thing. No, you can say that because God will say that too. It's an abomination. Yes, it's, it's, it's on my heart today, as you can tell. 
But it is. It's the most wicked thing, and yet they're doing this stuff. Vote them all out. All the school officials, vote them all out. And do it as quickly as possible because these kids are being going through this nonsense. And folks, it's up to you and I. Spread the word. Don't be quiet anymore about it. Because let me tell you, it is a war. There is a war, and it's on right now. And God doesn't call us to go out with machetes and machine guns. But you better get out there with your word and get out there on your feet. We have to do it. We have to do it. And be vocal about it. Because believe me, God is vocal about it. If, if Jesus were here, he would be condemning that action. But God's grace is such, he's even giving them an opportunity to repent of their sin. And that's exactly what it is. It is a sin. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The obvious answer is no. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it's thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. We are not being judgmental when we notice the way a person acts or how they do things. We are noticing the reality of what's happening inside and what kind of person they are. But we can't judge them eternally and, and condemn them. No, they have an opportunity to receive Christ. Christ. They do. Now, the way in which we talk to them is important. We've got to do it with candor and with love and with grace. And let them tell you that you're judging them. You're not judging them. You're just trying to help them. And hopefully they'll be doing the same to you. Because if Jesus were alive today, he would be crucified again in Washington, D.C. He'd be canceled on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. They would even shut down his PayPal account. And the FBI would raid his house. And we laugh, but that's what's happening in our world, in our country, in our republic. It's become a socialist, communist regime. We're fighting that today, and that's why your vote counts. But God, who is truth, is ultimately the only one who can judge with perfect knowledge. And when he judges, he is spot on. And what does it tell us in Romans chapter 2? That there's a day coming when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. That day is coming for the ungodly and those who reject Christ. When is this day? The Bible tells us, and we looked at this, uh, and we've been looking at this. It's the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. Everyone at that judgment will be condemned. They will be judged in the lake of fire forever and ever. That burns forever and ever. It is not a place where your friends are, where they're having a big party and everybody's excited. No, this is a place where people are burning forever and they will never, ever cease. Is that a deterrent to run to Christ? That alone is what got me into the kingdom. Someone told me that if I didn't turn from my sin, I was going to burn in hell. And you know what? It's true. Don't ever remove the teeth from the gospel. We mustn't ever do that. I need a savior because I need to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the punishment that I deserve because of my debauchery, because of my sin. I need someone to save me, and there's only one who can save me, Jesus. Has he saved you? Are you in the process of being saved? Is God working on your heart? Is he making you go, oh my goodness, I, I, I just so want to jump over this, this, this Rubicon and be yours, Lord. Well, jump. 
Don't wait. You don't have tomorrow. Do not wait. Today is the day of salvation, folks. Not tomorrow. Today is the day. But the great white throne judgment, yes, that's the ultimate judgment. Where the books will be opened, that death and Hades will be del- delivered up. Yes, when you die right now, if you're, if you're not a believer in Christ, you go to a place called Hades or hell. If you die today and you're in Jesus, you go to heaven. And there's coming a day where everybody who is in Hades is finally going to be delivered up unto the great white throne judgment. And they will be judged and then they will be sent into outer darkness in the lake of fire forever and ever. That's what the Bible says, folks, and that's the truth. Nobody likes to acknowledge that, but that is the truth, and I'll stand on that for the rest of my life. I wish it were different, but God's ways are good, and he loves people. He loves you and I. For with what judgment, verse 2, you judge, it will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This doesn't mean that there should not be judges in the courtroom or laws on the books. These things are good and they're right in a civilized society. We need these kind of things. Magistrates, authorities, and law enforcement, they are all there for that purpose. Romans 13 tells us, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that be are ordered by God. They're ordained by God. He's put them there, whether we like it or not. And many of them are are doing wicked things, and they will answer for that. But they should be doing the right thing. And God encourages us to obey them, especially when they're telling us to do the right thing. But the day when they come to us and say, you can only have two children, and if you get pregnant, you have to abort that child, then you can say, well, am I going to serve God and listen to God, or am I going to listen to you? For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Does that remind you of something? I think the perfect example of this is in the book of Esther. You remember that this occurred at Shushan the palace during the Babylonian captivity. And Mordecai, who was Esther's uncle, he wouldn't bow to or or acknowledge a man named Haman, who was a newly promoted officer in Xerxes' kingdom. And Haman was so furious with Mordecai the Jew that he didn't bow to him, and he determined not only to kill Mordecai, but to also all of those of his kind, meaning the Jews. And throughout all the provinces, he wanted to do that on a specific day. And Ahasuerus, unfortunately, he agreed to this, not knowing the full ramifications. He didn't know the big picture. He didn't even know that his beloved wife Esther was a Jew. And so Haman created this gallows or this pole that was 75 feet high. And it was basically a stake where they would take the person and impale them on the top of it. And you would stand there suspended in the air, impaled on this 75 foot pole, higher than all the trees so that everyone all around could look and say, wow, that's what happens when you disobey. That was the whole point of it. The Romans you know, they, they did the same thing. The Persians, they were the ones that invented crucifixion. And the Romans uh, mastered it. And that's why they did all their crucifixions on very busy roads. This is what happens when you cross Rome. This is what happens when you disobey Rome. Well, Hazarus did the same thing, or, or Haman did. He wanted to build this pole, and he wanted to just put, Haman, or put Mordecai right on the top of it. He created it for Mordecai. And you remember that the plot was uncovered, finally. (laughs) And when it was, and Ahasuerus realized what Haman was up to, 
Haman himself was placed on those very same gallows. You can read Esther yourself. It's a wonderful, wonderful historical book because it did really happen. And it reminds me of a verse in Psalm 37. What does it say? The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him. So Haman judged. Haman was on the, he, he didn't have, you know, he wanted to judge Mordecai. And the measure that he judged came back upon his own head. It came right back to him. The thing that he wanted to do to Mordecai happened to him instead. And what a poignant justice. And I tell you, you read that Esther and your mind is blown at just how God set this evil man up and he would not repent. And God set him up in so, such an amazing way. I mean, it is the worst case scenario I've ever read in my life. It's horrible. But the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and the needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. But their sword shall enter their own hearts, and their bows shall be broken. The thing that they wanted to do is brought back on their own head. Jesus goes on in verse 3 and says, Why do you look at the speck or this little chaff or twig in your eye, in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank or this piece of lumber that's sticking out of your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove this speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own. It sounds ludicrous, but the idea is that if I've got this, uh, this beam sticking out of my eye, this, you know, pressure-treated two-by-four, how can I look at somebody else and say, oh, you got a little twig, you got a little problem in your eye. Well, you've got a really big problem. In fact, it's taken over your whole life. Why don't you take care of that first? How can we counsel or encourage somebody else, someone else in a sin issue or a problem when perhaps we are having the same problem or maybe even our own life is in a much worse condition? It's like somebody who's trying to quit smoking or trying to quit smoking but still smoking encouraging somebody else to stop smoking. Well, what are you doing to stop smoking? Well, I'm not doing so good of a job. <laughs> or how can the drug addict who's hooked on crack cocaine, how can he help somebody kick the habit when he hasn't kicked it himself? How can a man who's addicted to porn try to help another man who is addicted to porn? He's got to first remove that beam from his own eye before he can help the twig in his other's eye. But we need to practice what we preach, right? Because we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors. That's what we're to be. Jesus says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your own brother's eye. It's more better and more effective for us to get the plank out of our own eye before we attempt to get the small piece of wood out of our brother or sister's eye. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says that, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be, may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort in which we ourselves are comforted of God. And that's the idea. When God comforts me, then I want to do the same. I want to reciprocate. I want to help. But at first, I've got to get help myself. 
And even though Jesus is speaking to his disciples when he says this, this concept is true not only for the believer but also for the unbeliever. In the context of Romans 1 and 2, Paul speaks about the hypocrisy of unbelievers in this area of judging. And this is a really tough area, but in Romans 1, chapter 24, it says, Therefore God also, and this sounds very like today that we're living in, God also gave them up, the unbelievers, he gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their woman, their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lust for one another, men with men, working, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, notice, which was due. (laughs) Ouch. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. And that's exactly what we're seeing in our culture. That's exactly what's happening when you see these drag queen shows that they're doing for little kids. God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder and strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, notice this, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And then he goes into chapter 2 and he says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. There's our word again, crino. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth, notice, against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? The answer is no. You will not escape the judgment of God. As loving as God is, and that is the truth, he is so loving, his vengeance is just as hot on the other side of the coin. That's the part none of us want to see. But history bears out that God does judge, and when he judges, he judges righteously. Unlike me, because I just don't have all of the knowledge. I don't have the perfect understanding, but God does. I can't condemn anybody. I can call it what it is, but I've I got to be careful in, in my delivery and how I do that. But I need to know right from wrong. I need to be able to judge actions in myself first and foremost And if somebody comes up and starts pushing people around and is really nasty to them, you can say, that person's not very nice. Are you being judgmental? No, you're not. You're just being stating the obvious. But they'll be the first ones to say, don't judge me, brother. Because in in and of itself, the way we do it is is so important. But this word judge that we've seen in in, in chapter 2 of Romans uh, in verses 1 and 3, it's the same that we see here in chapter 7, verse 1. The same idea of judging. Verse 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and they turn and they tear you to pieces. 
We know that dogs and pigs in the, um, are considered unclean by the Jews. And in this context, it's not talking about the animal, but rather an unbelieving person. Uh, a dog or a, or a pig would often be an unbelieving individual who was patently against the truth, somebody who was a scorner. And see, the treasures of the kingdom of God should not be forced upon people who are outwardly hostile to the, hostile to the gospel. <laughs> it almost rhymes, hostile to the gospel. That's why we have to be led by the Spirit of God in our witnessing and have discernment when we, and to know when we just need to turn away and to walk away and to continue to pray for someone. However, we should never let a statement like this keep us from ministering and sharing with unbelievers. But there's, there's, there's a time where you have to not throw your pearls or cast your pearls before swine. A good example might be if you're walking on Monroe Avenue on a Friday night. I don't know why you do that to begin with. But if you are there and... Um, and a man high on crack uh, makes fun of your Jesus shirt, you might want to pray and just continue to keep moving unless the Lord tells you to stop and pray with him. But if he's high or he's drunk, you might be wasting your time. But again, be led by the Spirit. But more often than not, you're, gonna, you're not going to have any impact on them because they're just making fun of you and you're the sport of the hour. Don't allow yourself to be a sport of the hour. If you know that you ought not to be there, then get out of there. If you know it's not, you know, and God will give you that discernment. Then again, he may tell you to stand and, 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 bring, and bring it, you know, and love them and tell them the truth. That's why you've got to be led by the Spirit. Paul did. Peter did. In Acts chapter 10, we know that there was a time that Peter, um, he received this vision of three times a sheep being lowered with all kinds of four-footed beasts and creeping things. And the Lord said to him, uh, you know, rise, Peter, and eat. And, and Peter said, Lord, I, I can't. I, I, I have, um, I would not put in my mouth that which is unclean. And you remember what happened. Three men from Cornelius' house come to visit Peter there in Joppa. And he go, and the Lord tells him, go with these three men. Don't, don't answer anything. Don't ask questions. Just go with them to this Gentile's house. And he does. And the next day, as Peter is before all of them, he says, you know that it is an unlawful thing for a man who is a Jew to keep company with you guys or to come into company of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Overcoming this judgmental heart. Because although Gentiles were considered unclean, Peter did not refrain from sharing with them and leading them all to Christ. When, their country, when his fellow countrymen, the Jews, they wouldn't have wasted their time. Peter being led by the Spirit, being encouraged by God. But notice in verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and it will be opened to you. Notice the active verbs there. These are very active verbs. Uh, they're purposeful, they're assertive, they're not passive. It's, this is an act of faith. You ask and you seek and you knock. And the unfortunate thing in our culture today is we become a fast food culture. We want to get it right now and we want to move on. We don't want to wait for anything. And even our fast food chains, have it your way right away, uh, encourage this attitude of ours. We don't want to wait for anything. We ask, we seek, we knock, but if it doesn't open up, if it doesn't answer my question that I want right now, I'm moving on. I'm going to Buddha. I'm going to Allah. This Christian stuff didn't work for me. Well, is God a genie? Is he like a little lamp that you rub and just say, oh, I want a million dollars? 
oh, I want a million dollars. It doesn't happen. Oh, I just forget this thing. I'll just go buy a lottery ticket. I'll go to, I'll go to the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'll go to the, the Mormons, the Church of Latter-day Saints. I'll, I'll become a, a Hindu and move to Tibet and sit on some mountain somewhere with a loincloth and cross my legs and meditate on my navel. But we need to be patient, right? Ask, seek, and knock. I love what King Solomon, how he responded to the Lord. It's recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 3. Let me just read verse 5 onward. It says that at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God says, ask, what shall I give you? Think of this. He was just anointed king, and God's like, what do you want me to do for you, Solomon? Anything you want. Here, I'm going to sign my name at the bottom of the check, and I'm going to give it to you. There it is. What is it that you want? And Solomon said, You've shown me great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, you have made your servant king instead of my father, but I am a little child. I don't know how to come out or to go in. I don't know anything. And I'm in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And notice, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And then God said to him, notice. So God gives him the blank check. says, what is it that you want? Just ask Solomon. I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon was wise enough to say, you know what? I'm, I'm so young, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what I don't, I don't even know what I need. I don't have a clue of how to do this, Lord. And the Lord is going, I like that. I need an understanding heart to judge these people of yours, to rightly rule. I need an understanding of how to go out and to come in. I am completely green. I'm completely wet behind the ears. I have no idea what I'm doing. If you don't help me, I'm going to die because everyone around me is much older than I. They should be the ones. And here I am, just a young man who knows nothing, and yet they're here to help me. And God, if you don't help me, I'm sunk. I need your help. And God says, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself or asked for riches for yourself, nor asked the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have given you according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and an understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be anyone who arise after you. And and this this is the killer to me. This is what just blows me out of the water. God says, I've already given that to you, Solomon. I grant it to you. And then he says in verse 13, I have also given to you what you haven't asked. I'm going to give you riches and honor so that there shall be not anyone like you among the kings all of your days. I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. That is who our God is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add all these things unto you. There's a perfect example of it. Solomon's going, I just want to search, I want to search your heart, God. And God's going, oh, Solomon, I've given it to you. And everything you didn't ask that all the other nations would have asked, I'm going to give that to you too, because I know that you can, you're going to be able to handle it. 
Because it's not something that's on your heart. It's not a lust. It's not a desire. I'll do that for you. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And somebody needs to hear that today because God is not this angry driver up in the sky that just wants to drive you. No, his thoughts of you are of peace, not of evil. He wants to give you a hope and a future and a hope. And then he goes on and he says, Then you will call upon me and you will go and pray to me and then I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart ask seek and knock are we asking are we seeking are we knocking or are we asking for one prayer and if it doesn't come to pass then we just move on because i gotta have it right away or i'm off to something else ask and keep asking seek and keep seeking knock and keep knocking don't give up if, you are, if your motive is right and your heart is right and you're asking for the right thing and it's God's will, it's going to happen. It's just a question of time. But if you ask amiss to, to consume it for the lust of your own heart, if you're asking for wrong thing at the wrong time, God is not obligated to answer that prayer. But if it is of a right heart and it is his will, he is going to answer that prayer. So what restricts us from asking for anything good, is God, doesn't he give good things to his children? Especially when he knows it's not going to destroy them. Why, why have you not asked about it? Why have you not sought him about it? Certainly ask for the salvation of your family members and all those things. But, you know, maybe there's something that's been a desire of your heart and it's not an idol. But you're like, you know, Lord, this would be really cool. Because it would help me to do this. It would help me to do that. But Lord, your will be done. And then he provides it. And you're like, wow. Are you that good? I've had that happen in my life, and so have you. For everyone, verse 8, who seeks and asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? We need to be persistent in prayer until the Lord tells us to stop. And there are times where God may tell you to stop. He did it to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as he was this faithful prophet before Judah and Jerusalem would go into captivity into Babylon, he prayed earnestly that God would turn away his wrath from his own people. And there came a point where God says, do not pray for this people. It's in Jeremiah chapter 7. He repeats it in Jeremiah chapter 14. Do not pray for this people anymore, nor lift up a cry or a prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. What? Are you kidding me? Lord, I'm praying to you, interceding. I'm supposed to intercede, right? Yes, you are supposed to intercede. And I have a right heart, right, Lord? Yes, you have a right heart. Your heart is right. But here's the problem, Jeremiah. They have crossed the Rubicon. They have crossed that line, the point of no return, and they will not turn because God can say, I know them. And they are a stiff-necked and stubborn people, and they have crossed the line. They've refused to turn from their sin, and judgment is coming, and it's coming like a freight train. You better get out of the way, Jeremiah. I love you, and you've got a great heart, but stop praying for them because I'm done. I'm done. And God did that. He brought judgment upon his own people. He brought them into captivity because they wouldn't turn from their sin. But this is the exception. This is not uh, the thing that happens a lot, but we need to actually persevere in prayer, right? 
Later in Jesus' ministry, it's recorded for us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning in verse 5, it says, And he said to them, Jesus said, Which of you have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on a long journey, and I have nothing to set before them. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are now in bed with me. I can't rise and give to you. And Jesus says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give to him as many as he needs. Do you think that God wouldn't want to hear from you? No, God wants to hear from you. Time and perseverance has a way of showing what's really important. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, verse 23, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father, notice, in my name, he will give to you. But until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. There's Jesus imploring his his disciples, ask. Why aren't you asking? I've prayed for things for years And they didn't come to pass. And then one day it came to pass. Sometimes years, folks, and you know this, and I know this to be true in my own life. There are times where I've prayed and God has answered the very same day. There's times that I've prayed and God answered a week from then. Times I've prayed and God answered five months down the road. There are times that I've prayed that I've had to wait for 15 years. Is that okay? It is. Because in that process, I'm changing. God is challenging me. God is getting me more dependent on him, and I'm starting to question my own motives. Is this really right, God? And then you keep praying, and you keep praying, because you believe you have the right heart about it, and then he answers. And isn't that, that's better than anything in the world, isn't it? When you pray for earnest for something, and then all of a sudden it takes years, and then finally God just drops it right in your lap, and you're like, Oh my goodness. You just want to do a hopscotch. You want to do the double dutch. You want to jump up and down like your legs are on fire and tell everybody around you what great things God has done for you. Isn't that cool? And when God does that to you, be sure to be a loud mouth about it. Tell all your friends, I prayed for this and God did it. Look what he did. I've been praying for 10 years. I prayed last week. I prayed three months ago. And look what he did. Look what he did. Oh, God, you're so good. And I couldn't even have done it myself. And you, you did this in a total way that I didn't even think. You came, you came out of a, a place that I, I, I couldn't, didn't even discern. I, I couldn't have worked this out on my own. And yet you did it, God, because you're awesome in power. Is God awesome in power? Can I get an Amen. Yes, he's awesome. Jesus said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Again, the motive of the prayer is important. And you know, if we ask and do not receive, it may be no, or it may be not yet. But we need to be honest with ourselves with the request. And James, Jesus' half-brother, says, you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And there's the, the, the caveat in the whole thing is that we need to be sure about these things. In Luke chapter 11, this is uh, Jesus speaking on this very same topic later on in his ministry. He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
(laughs) In addition to all those other necessities of life that we talk about, let's make sure that the one thing we ask for is for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to anoint us, to use us. Because without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can't do these things. In fact, it's, it's the most important thing, to be filled with the Spirit of God. And he goes on in verse 12, Therefore, whatever you ask men to do to you, here's the golden rule, folks. Put a little asterisk or circle this verse. This is the golden rule. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It is the law and the prophets. Jesus said in Matthew 22, he says, Then one of them, a lawyer, uh, asking him a question, testing him, said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four speak of our relationship with God, the law, and the prophets. They all speak about that. And the last six speak of our relationship with man, to man. Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt, or thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not bear false witness. Jesus said in Romans 13, or excuse me, Paul, through the the Spirit, says, You shall not uh, commit adultery. For these commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is, uh, if we can live this way and keep these things in mind, we will be in pretty good shape. But the world is not such, and even the church is not such. And are we uh, shocked that the world is the mess that it is? Lord, folks, this is the time for you and I to really walk the walk and talk the talk. And more importantly, walk the walk. Because anybody can talk. The old adage, talk is cheap, right? I can talk all I want, but if my actions don't actually add up. And, and I'll be the first one to tell you that my actions need to align with what I, am, what I know to be true and what the things that I speak. Because I need just as much as you to be walking that walk. I need to be walking. I need to be cognizant of it every single day. And Jesus finally goes on, and just bear with me a few more minutes here. I, I appreciate it. But notice what he says. He says, Enter now by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. It's true that all roads lead to God. And you might be going, ah, I can't believe he spoke such blasphemy. No, it's true. All roads ultimately lead to God. And here's what I'm thinking. Every way that man devises apart from the cross and Jesus Christ is a broad way that leads to destruction. Yes, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, these are all the broad ways that are leading to destruction. And why? Am I being judgmental? No. Because they are Christless. They are crossless religions. You have to do for the God, but in Christianity, God has done everything for you. You just have to believe in him. Right? Is that truth? Say amen, something. Yes. It's true. I'm not judging, but yes, all roads lead to God because anyone who has rejected Christ and is a part of a world religion that has rejected Christ, they are all going to be leading to God because one day they will stand before him. 
Not for salvation, but for eternal damnation. They will all stand before him. We read about it in, in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. These things, they will all, roads lead to God, but not in the way that people think. What does it tell us in 1 John? Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. That's why all these world religions, they are off the mark. They've missed the mark. Because they are Christless, they are godless, they are crossless. That's a big problem. In John chapter 10, verse, uh, uh, verse 1, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not come up, uh, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, and Jesus is the door, they, they enter, they try to enter uh, not the sheep. Not, not to the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way. Notice, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings his own sheep out, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him and they know his voice. And in that same chapter, down in verse 7, said, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door. Of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Yes, Charles Taz Russell, Brigham Young, Char- you know, uh, all of these religions. All that have come before me are robbers and thieves. They've tried coming up another way. But Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. So Jesus is the door, and it's a narrow path. So follow him and stay on that path. There's an old adage that says, if it is true, it is not new, and if it is new, it is not true. There's nothing new under the sun. Even Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes, didn't he, in chapter 1, verse 9? That which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. And what does Jeremiah tell us? I love this. And folks, this is something in the church that we have to get back to. There are no new paths. There are no new revelations of God of what he's going to do. No, what does Jeremiah exhort us? Through the Spirit of God, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it, not in a path that man has created and and has desired to, to reach God by some other means. No, there's only one path. It's an old path, and it's very effective. We don't need to go on a new path. You don't need to be searching around a corner for some new thing. No, it's all right here. Why can't we just believe it? And why can't we just believe it so much that we walk it? We, we live it. We say, God, help me to, to take everything that's in here and appropriate it into my heart. And may it just come out like a gushing torrent to all my family, to all my friends, to everyone that's around. Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find, notice, then and only then will you find rest for your souls. Because otherwise, you're going to be looking for everything. Well, i got to find my solace in, in wine. Or i got to find my solace in marijuana or uh, CBD oil or whatever it is. I got to find my solace. And, oh, it's, it's, oh, brother. <laughs> then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. You've seen somebody do that? We won't do it. Well, you can walk in that rebellion. 
God loves you, know that. But if that's your opinion, if that's your stance, if that's what you're going to die, if that's the hill that you're going to die on, then you're really going to die on it. And you will be judged on it. But seek the old paths. That's why we don't preach a different message. That's why the church doesn't preach a different message. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We preach the Word of God. That's the only thing that's worth preaching. There's nothing else worth preaching. I don't want to preach politics to you. That's just a band-aid. The real center of the issue is man's souls, the souls of men and women. Who cares? I mean, I do care, but, I, but the, the end of it all, at the end of the day, it's the soul of that person. And being a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent is not going to save a soul. Believe me, there's a lot of Republicans going to hell. There's a lot of Independents going to hell. There's a lot of Democrats going to hell. But out of all that group, anyone who's a Christian is going to heaven. So what's more important? They're both important, but one is extremely important because that one, my relationship to Christ, is what my ticket out of here. And yes, I'm looking forward to the rapture of the church. Why? Because I want to get out of here. It is my crutch. It is my joy. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not afraid to say I'm looking forward to getting out of here. Even right now, Lord, beam me up. Why? Well, two things. Specifically, I want to be with him. He is perfect and true and holy and just. He's beautiful in every... I can't even comprehend him. I I, I feel like I know this much, and he's going, oh, I got... It goes so long, it's just incredible. And I'm like, Lord, if you're this good and I only know this, I'm just going to be completely blown. And he's like, yeah. That's what I want. I want to be with him. And yes, I want to escape a world that is rejected, that hates him, a world where truth isn't upheld. I want to escape a world that has turned its back on Christ, that instead of upholding truth and good things, they're giving themselves over to the things that we read in Romans 1. I saw a video recently of a a gay um, he was a gay uh, priest. And right in the church, I, I could show, I've got it on my thing, I could show, I won't do it because it's so horrendous. But here is a priest with all of his garb on, and he's a homosexual. And he's got a transgender, or not a transgender, but a, um, a, a, a drag queen there in the church. And, and, and two kids are up on the platform, and they're talking about how this is so great, how God allows us to do these things. And I literally almost vomited. I almost vomited. We are to walk in the old paths. The old paths are safe because narrow is the gate, verse 14, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Entrance into the kingdom of God is exclusive, but everyone is invited on this path if they put their faith in God's only means of salvation, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
Yes, narrow and difficult is the way, and salvation costs Christ everything, but you and I, it costs us nothing. But to live this life here on earth is not going to be without troubles and hazards. It's going to require a death to ourselves. It's going to mean a turning away from the world and its lust. This is why we should never tell anybody as we're trying to lead them to Christ that come to Christ, all your problems are going to go away. Your bank account's going to be fat and full. You're never going to go through any troubles now that you're a Christian. Ah, that is such a lie. No, in fact, when you come to Christ, you're probably going to have battles that you never understood. Is there going to be peace and joy? Yes. Is there going to be deliverance from sin, the weight off your shoulder that you've been, it's been like this monkey on your back all of your life and you feel like you can hardly breathe? You feel like that, you know, in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, uh, the guy carrying the load on his back and it's just weighing him down and then finally that load is lifted and now you can spring and dance and jump around through the tulips. Don't ever tell anybody, come to Christ and everything will be better. Yes, in in some ways it will be better, tremendously better, great and wonderfully better. But your circumstances may get worse for a while, and you're not without trials. Because the Christian life is not a walk in the park. What does James tell us? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it do? It produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Paul and Timothy, when he's speaking to him, he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, long-perseverance, or excuse me, love and perseverance, persecutions, yes, afflictions. What happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And this is why so few find it. They want a new path that's Christless, that's crossless, They want a new path, and yet Jeremiah and the Spirit of God pleads with us, get on the old path, stay secure in the old path. You don't need a new version of the Bible like the message. The message is like a, it's a a, a paraphrase. It's not even a translation, yet people read it like the Bible. Read the Bible. Right? I've been heavy, I know. Everybody smile. Because you're looking at me like, we're going to tear you apart when you leave that platform. Well, so be it. You know what? I'll go to glory. (laughs) I mean, you guys are awesome. I got nothing to worry about. But this is why so few find it. And many would rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. But I would rather cry with the saints for the duration of my life on earth and spend an eternity with Jesus than laugh with the sinners on Friday and Saturday nights and spend eternity in hell. Wouldn't you? Yes, I would. I'd rather my whole life was completely ground up into a pile of dust and be faithful to Christ than for to live the life on, you know, and have everything just going well for me and go straight to hell when I die. But when Jesus speaks about judging, make sure we understand what that means. You will know them by their fruits. That's not judging by looking at something and calling something sin. How I, how I go about it and my attitude in it 
is everything. And ultimately, remember, I can't condemn to hell anybody. Neither would I want to. God doesn't even want to do that. But he will, and he can, and he's the only one who can righteously and sovereignly do that. But I cannot, but I can call a spade a spade. Is adultery a sin? Is lying a sin? Oh, don't be judgmental, brother. No, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying the truth. If I lie, I'm going to call it a lie. If I murder, I'm going to call it murder, and it's a sin. Don't judge me, brother. No, there's one who judges you already, the Word of God. So don't be afraid to let truth be your guide. You will know them by their fruits. But again, your attitude, your motive is everything. And the final destination of that soul is not for me to know. I'm not condemning them. I'm hoping that they come to Christ. Because even those most horrible people in history, think about Nebuchadnezzar. Think about some of the other more recent ones. Done horrific, atrocious things that we just can't even fathom. And yet, at the end, God receives them, and they're in glory. And we're like, that's not fair. (laughs) Who's the judge? Is the blood of Christ able to cover a serial killer's life and to cover it as if it never happened and that person go to heaven? Yes, it's happened. And there are many people who have never committed such atrocities that will reject Christ and go to hell. It's about Christ. It's about Him. It's about the forgiveness of the blood of Christ. Thank you. Let's stand together. I've kept you long and I am... I almost want to apologize, but... You guys are very gracious. So, Father, we just thank you for this passage, Lord, how it just strikes right to the core of our being, Lord. It, it, it's something that we have to deal with every day, Lord, this whole issue of judging and asking and seeking and knocking and this narrow path, this narrow road that we are on. God, help us, Lord, to stay on that narrow path. Lord, help us to stay with the old path and not try to reinvent or or, or make something new. Lord, help us to continue to ask and to seek and to knock and never to give up. Lord, help us to not judge anybody and, and, and being harsh and critical and nasty, Lord, but help us also not to be fearful of calling what is true, true, and what is false, false. What is evil, evil, and what is good, good? Lord, you've given us a conscience. You've given us your word, and Lord, we are so thankful for that. Would you please, Lord, just ingrain these things into my heart and do the same for my brothers and sisters this morning, that we might live lives that glorify you, and that, Lord, we be set on fire to go out and tell others about it too. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.